Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time. Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. I was thinking, Cole, one thing I found really interesting just starting out is you didn't have the career path that most marketers have and then started a marketing company. And I just wanted to start there because I, I think that's one of the reasons why what you do is so interesting and how your relationship with Mason has grown in the way it has. Yeah, for sure. So I, I will say I started out like with good intentions. I did actually get a degree in marketing. But after that, I, I, I started out, my first job was in, was in sales. Throughout kind of my career, I was doing more selling for oftentimes marketing companies, if you will, and then moved into leadership and owning my own company and, you know, running it and so forth, which by the way, you always need, you know, a sales mindset um, and a marketing mindset as you are the leader of the organization. I mean, growth and, you know, and forward momentum, you can't have that without that mindset. So it definitely, um, I look back and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that, I understand and I appreciate uh, marketing for uh, so much, but I also have such a keen empathy and viewpoint for the sales role. And I um, I see it all the time. I, I really feel like a lot of the conflicts that you see oftentimes between maybe sales and marketing teams are simply just based on a lack of understanding, empathy of, of what the challenges in each role, you know, really are and what each is, you know, driving to succeed. So I love that. It's been so helpful for me to be able to kind of bring that viewpoint from a sales mindset to our marketing organization. And quite frankly, these days, we work just as much with sales teams as we do marketing teams because it is a team effort. Mm. You know, it should be, we all are in this together. We just have different skill sets and disciplines. How can we align and bring it together for the common goal, which is to grow um, the business? One thing I love in there is I hear sales and marketing alignment. But the one thing, Nicole, that I heard almost kind of, and I don't want to lose it, that hint that you had in there was, it sounds like it's becoming more of a culture that you've instilled than anything else. I hope so. I, you know, I, I can't help but to think that probably uh, is just kind of based on kind of the leadership of the organization. And I'm, I'm constantly preaching, you know, uh, about that. And I know our team is of that mindset as well. So we take the viewpoint of, of, of almost looking at ourselves. And for those marketers out there, please take this for, for the way it's intended. Um, we oftentimes think of ourselves as sales support. That doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not equals. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we're just needing to support sales. But the fact of the matter is, though, the salesperson should really be focused on the deal pipeline and closing qualified deals. They should be spending the vast majority of their time later on in the process, right? So how can we not only support pre-sales, you know, to get qualified opportunities in the door, but then through the process, it's amazing to me how much marketing can really do to help support sales i.e. content development. I mean, salespeople create so much content through the sales process. So as marketers, like we're excellent at creating content and doing that kind of thing. How can we look to drive efficiencies, create more success so that, you know, the salespeople can use that within their role as, as well. So they can focus on their best and highest use, which come on, us marketers, we don't want to be salespeople. We don't want to have to do that. Like having to 
have the pressure of the, you know, of closing deals and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's a lot of pressure as well as marketing has a lot of pressure for, you know, driving qualified opportunities. So yes, I, I would say that that's probably very accurate. Mason probably is a better one to attest that since I, I might have a, a clouded viewpoint. <laughs> to put it very bluntly, when we have had events in the past as our kind of all hands, there's always been a theme. And for the first year it was, or not first year, but one of the most recent years, we had acquired a company called SpinWeb. So the theme was one team. And it was making sure that we all knew that we were on the same team, on the same page, rooting for one another. And the next year was actually one mind. So again, we're not in this silo of we're all one team, but like you do your thing, I'll do my thing. But it's how do we come together as a unified team, and a unified mind rowing in the same direction that is all around growth. The ways we do that, there are different skill sets like Nicole had shared. But again, it's one team, it's one mind, it's one unified goal that is success. Again, leadership defines what success is and then creates a culture in which the individuals within the team have the autonomy to work together to achieve those goals. So to that point, Nicole's done a great job of creating an environment in which I'm autonomous to be collaborative, which I think is an interesting concept in and of itself. I'm not just autonomous to go off on my own and make all the things happen. And as long as I do it and I don't bother anybody else, then that's success. Success is actually the more collaborative we are as a team, the more we come together, then the more we can actually deliver incredibly helpful results for our clients. Mm -hmm. And if I could jump in there, one of the things that we have developed within Gravity Global to really tie the financial you know, aspect to this and, and to really like quantify what a success looks like is we've rolled out what we call open book management. And what that actually looks like is every single week, Monday at, uh, well, now it's 10 a.m. Central, we come together as an entire team and we are forecasting out um, based on what our planned revenue expenses all the way down to profit before tax, you know, see where we are today, where we're forecasting the end of the month is going to look like, and then we have a, a forward view going, going ahead. Usually in an organization, if someone is, you know, says, who's responsible for revenue? What do people say? Sales, right? It's all, it's all Mason. Mason, you are, you know, success or failure. That is not at all how we've built the company. We all win together. We all lose together. And I will tell you, we don't like to lose. So we, we like to win at this together. But half the battle is just an awareness of where we're all going. And quite frankly, it comes through in the financials. Financials are simply stories about people, right? And everybody impacts revenue from sales, marketing, and client success. And it's one thing we haven't talked about is client success. Just how important all of that is to be able to grow a stable company. You need to keep happy clients, grow them, as well as bring on you know new new clients as well. So within our within our team, based on the success of the business, which is determined, by the way, by Mason, I'll put you on the spot. What's our critical number? Profit before tax. Profit before tax. So Mason is a marketer and a salesperson, and he understands what profit before tax means. He understands how our business makes money and loses money. And as we hit goals, the whole entire team has the ability to share in the profits of the company, just like you would from an ownership perspective. So we give the autonomy. It's not just showing the numbers, by the way. Every single week, there are assigned team members who own line items. So whether that's a revenue line item that they're forecasting or even expenses. 
So everybody understands where we are and how they can impact the financials. So now all of a sudden we have people saying, oh, Mason, you have this thing coming up. How can I support you so that we can win that client? Or it might be the other way around. We see this client, um, you know, how can we uh, continue to encourage that client to grow or, or drive success? So it's a very quantifiable way. You've got to put numbers, you know, behind it. And this is just a quantifiable way to do that and to allow everybody to benefit in the process. And I may add one thing to that. Outside of just the quantifiable numbers in OBM, we're also reviewing the client satisfaction. So most of the time within marketing and sales, you throw it over the fence and then you never really hear anything until all of a sudden you're like, how are we doing on a revenue perspective? And, oh, we lost 14 clients this year. So what we are able to do through OBM is actually show red, yellow, and green on our client satisfaction. So I can see what clients are red which means we think we're about to lose them. How do we help bring them back in? We can also see who's, they've had some bumps in the road and then how do we turn them back into green? And then obviously I can see overall, we've got a lot of happy clients. What that does for me as somebody that is in a marketing and a sales seat is I can see what clients are constantly in red or yellow that are just never gonna be happy. And how do I close less of those clients? And then the other thing is when we see clients are in red, I can look at why did those clients go into red? Was it something that could have been avoided or picked up on in the sales process? And we pass on those because yes, it's nice to close immediate revenue, but we are, again, we're not looking necessarily just at revenue. We're looking at profit before tax and overall profitability. So in our business, a client that is not happy is not as profitable because we spend a lot of time collaborating to make sure that we can make them happy again. Whereas if that's something that I could have figured out in our sales process, that they may not be the best fit for us and then we may not be the best fit for them, we may not have needed to close them in the first place. So again, I think that's another piece to OBM that's incredibly helpful are those feedback loops to see, are we even engaging the right people from a lifetime value perspective with our marketing? And then am I closing those right people? And then once we pass them over to customer success or in our terminology, client services, do they stay happy? Do they stay around? And that, Nick started this off with culture but this culture would not stand alone without the transparency that you have on the metrics across all of the teams that are working along that. I absolutely love that. And informed teams perform better because, well, culture would not stand alone if you're not working according to the same goal. And you can definitely say, oh, marketing is measured on revenue. Is it really? <laughs> if we don't <laughs> break it down to small pieces, like, is it really? And then sales can complain and then there, there is that miscommunication going right after that. But Nicole, I would love to move over and start discussing a little bit towards marketing, but even more about social. Mason is kicking ass. <laughs> and when we're talking about metrics, then social is usually seen as one of the very well lagging indicator for you to at all figure out if it's working. Yep. How do you feel about that? So yes, social media. So here's my thought process where it comes to social and just us interacting kind of as people. So especially as, you know, COVID has happened and other, you know, other things in our world that has have made it so that people are a little bit more siloed. What I'm seeing is that online and even offline, there are, there are things happening to where people are trying to find community. What I mean by that is 
who are people who are similar to me or have similar interests oftentimes, and how can I find them and collaborate with them? And this is how I view social. So whether that's, you know, LinkedIn or, you know, Facebook or any of those, what people are really trying to do is be connected to others who have similar interests. And and so with that said, I mean, from, you know, Mason's perspective, really what he's done is just that. He's more tied into how to build community and actual like relationships and not thinking of it as selling. I think selling has gotten a bad rap and quite frankly, and I'm a salesperson at heart, I can't stand being sold to. Nobody wants to be sold to, right? For me, it's about it's about helping and connecting. If I know that we can truly help someone, well then let's talk about it. Let's, you know, engage in a conversation because that's that's what it's about. And so what Mason has done so incredibly well and is, you know, is really influencing um, our organization to do more of this is to truly like care and connect and be a part of these communities. And I will also say too, because he understands who our best fit clients are at Gravity, it could take place that he has connected with many of those people at accounts who we know are good fit clients, i.e. kind of an account-based marketing strategy, but it's in a genuine way. He's not connecting and sending spam immediately saying, hey, you want to talk about these, you know, these things with me. It's no, I know who you are. I want to start understanding you more. So I'm going to connect with you, engage in a natural way. And some of those things just over time have, you know, come to fruition. You know, I also have a love-hate relationship with with analytics and data. I mean, I, I love so many things about it, but I think you can get I think you can get too stuck in in data and analytics at first. Like social is a great example. To do it right, it takes time right? To build just like any good relationship or, you know, I mean, it just takes time to build these things. And I'm a big believer that, you know, it's like, if you start seeing it's working, you're getting more engagement. You're actually impacting more people. You can kind of feel it in your gut. I mean, yes, LinkedIn has, you know, great analytics. You can start to, to see some things too, but stick with it. As long as you are, you know, you're not trying to sell people, but you're in it for the right reasons, um, then just keep doing it and it, it will bear fruit. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, it has with us. Talk about a true sales, marketing, and CS alignment. The one thing I keep hearing, and I don't want to, like, I really want to emphasize that you guys have done so well is you've really identified the green light and like tried to go and push out the red because it, it sells you guys short. But by taking that longer look at things, you've dialed in and shared, which most companies don't do. Like, we've all been there where, who do we sell to? Everyone, anyone with a budget and a heartbeat, like we can sell to them. But when we take that mentality and like the leaders listening, listen, if you go back and replay what Mason said and how Nicole explained it together, they've dialed this in to have a perfect bullseye. So Mason isn't forced to just go and hunt and connect and pitch. You can actually create roads into the communities that you want to show up. And I would be willing to take a bet that if we went and took the analytics behind what you're doing, that you are connecting with more people in the right accounts from an ABM side and having more conversations and actually getting to a meeting faster than the average company. I'd be willing to bet that if we went and did it, because I think all too often we default to a solution and we assume that the, you know, the prospect's going to do all this work where you think of all the market research you guys have done by listening in the comments, by posting content, seeing what's working, 
on the op side and on the sales side, why don't we want to sell to this person? What specifically didn't they see value in? And I think this is the part that gets missed when we talk about social selling is it gets cast too much in a marketing or a sales lens and we don't look at it as a whole. And it's obvious to see why you guys are crushing it. And I heard a rumor that uh, really big things are happening at Gravity Global thanks to social. I think I know what rumor you are referencing. So a couple of things to add on to that. It is when I enter into a, a first conversation, what typically happens is like, oh, hey, it's good to like hop on a first call with you. I've seen you over social, over LinkedIn. It, it's great to, to finally connect. So again, there's a level of familiarity. And we, we recently closed a, let's just say, multi-billion dollar organization. And the first call started with, it is so nice to finally meet you. I've been following your content on social for a year. I've learned so much from you. So isn't that amazing? I mean, and to say I've learned so much from you, that should be the goal. That, could you I mean, imagine how much that would cost in paid ads to get that type of recognition? You wouldn't get it. That's the first you thing. You wouldn't get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and to elaborate a little bit further, because it's, you know, it's, it's great to have the one logo, but I think we've all know the organizations that like sell a $100 product and then put the $60 billion organization on their website. To be clear, we've landed the client and we are very much so actively in the process of continuing to expand to where I think that we will see within the first year, probably seven figures in revenue from this one client. So to be clear, this is not just a, we got them and we're good to go, but it's, I mean, we are continuing to develop an incredible relationship. And what's what's been really, I think, beneficial and surprising from my perspective is how bullish our main point of contact within the organization was on working with us. So much so that she went through all of these backdoor channels because in order to, to sign off on the initial contract, we need to get the approval of 11 different people. So she did a bunch of backdoor channeling for us and then ended up scheduling out a separate call to actually go over with me one-on-one -on -one all of the different people's objections so that when we hopped into an hour-long session to walk through our offering, I could make sure that I mapped everything that I said to the different objections. So again, we, we were able to actually close the initial deal that ended up leading into what will be over the lifetime, again, seven figures likely, close it in, we'll got the verbal yes for the agreement in three or four weeks after the course of about four meetings. And then legal took about another two weeks and they had four red lines that Nicole approved within 30 seconds, essentially. So, I mean, it was just, we were able to close this deal in about six weeks total. Amazing. Wow. Like when you're talking about the B2B deals that take around 200 days to close. Well, with you being active on social, they probably take 200 days, but it happens on their own premises. They're learning stuff from you. They're being educated. And when they're ready, it's like, let's talk. It will take us four weeks to close. Oh, thank you very much. I want those clients. <laughs> well, it almost sounds like you bypassed what everybody hates doing. So in sales, I put out a poll, I think it was yesterday morning. I'm like, what is the hardest part of prospecting into the enterprise. And the, everybody said, or like the bulk of people said, well, finding the right person to talk to. It almost sounds like you bypassed that. And you're like, the champion raised their hand and said, hey, I'm here. I love what you do. I really love what you do. And I know who you are. How can I help you make this happen? And I want to add on to that a little bit, because to be clear, this person was also a referral. But that referral came through existing relationships was really strengthened through social was strengthened through communities. So 
I don't want to say, yeah, because I posted on social, like there's a lot more that goes into it, but the referral could trust us through the relationships that Nicole had built five or six years ago, plus the active portion to social that I've been doing over the past 18-ish months and being a part of a lot of communities where that individual is also present. So between referral plus social plus just being around long enough to where people can trust you, then led into an initial conversation where they knew us, they trusted us from the start by, again, all of these different components coming together. So I want to be clear of, yes, social, massive driving factor, but also third-party trust that came in the form of a referral. But you you hit upon something that's really important, Mason, and it is never just one thing. It's a combination of several different tactics. So um, our, our agency specializes in account-based marketing. One of the reasons I like it so much is that you can get clarity and focus on, I mean, if you're doing it right, it should be who can we actually serve the best, right? Who is that best fit client? And then you figure out how to find those uh, companies. Social is amazing because obviously you can find the people um, kind of within the companies, but there's lots of different ways when you're when you're working from an account-based marketing kind of mindset, not even campaign or program, but you know, it's gonna be different channels, right? You know, how they start to create awareness for for us as a as a brand, how they learn from us. And social is a big, you know, element of that for sure, but it's not the only area uh, to focus on. However, people are looking at you online. <laughs> and if you're if you're in, in leadership, I know people are searching for me. I mean, one, I, I see it, but people are stalking, right? They want to know, they want to understand at the end of the day, people still buy from people. That has not changed, period, end of story. And so, you know, one of the reasons that I think Mason has been so successful, and I encourage others, and I've seen some people maybe not be as successful, is they're not terribly authentic, you know, on social. And that's another thing. It's like, you know, be who you are. I mean, you know, like it or not, you, I mean, obviously, within you know boundaries of, of what's appropriate, but be who you are. It shouldn't be something that is scripted or having to worry about every word be, you know, so perfect or anything like that. You know, it's just, it's kind of letting the world know the type of person you are. And from a company, when the more and more people you have who are doing that, guess what? That is the company. That is what you can expect when you engage in this company, because you know the people who are within the company and what they're saying. So that builds confidence. If I can just add on to that a little bit, when Nicole and I went to B2B SMX this year, and that was really the first conference that I had gotten to go to after trying to build some LinkedIn social presence. And I met a number of people for the first time in person. And I don't know if you guys know Karina over at Gong, but right before the conference ended and we all hopped on our planes to head back to our houses, one of the things that she said that still resonates with me is, it was so nice to meet you in person. You are who I thought you would be. And as I continue to have sales conversations and people hop on a call and they recognize me in the first place, which again, to be super clear, that is absolutely insane that after I've been doing this for about 18 months total, the fact that anyone recognizes me, period, like that's enough of, a, of an, an absolute proof point that this is effective. But again, we pick up the conversation right where it left in the feed and in the comment sections. And it is a bunch of people that genuinely want to help their companies grow, that genuinely want to help other people all coming together to say, yeah, you were authentic. You are who I thought you would be. Because I think the flip side that's terrible to experience is somebody that says the right things on LinkedIn to get a, a ton of engagement to blow up their post. You hop on a call and they're not at all who you thought they would be. 
And that is far more damaging than helpful. So if you're going to, if you're going to go the route to make sure that you're getting all the appropriate likes and comments to say the right thing versus being a true authentic version of yourself, I'd actually recommend that you don't do it because the long-term impact could be actually far more negative. Well, I can't think of a more beautiful compliment to go and receive from someone that's like, holy man, that hits deep. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things I'd love to ask of everyone here is me and Morgan, when we were doing a bunch of research, found out that there was a credibility crisis. And it was the first time that sellers had a face and a name because most of the time they were hidden behind a phone. And then maybe a little bit, they started to have a little bit of a, a brand when it came to email because people go and Google and like search them. But most of the time it was always just the company. You're wearing the company's colors, you know, swinging their flag. And that was just kind of it. But I'd love to hear both of your opinions because Mason, you've done an incredible job building a brand, building demand and carrying it over. And Nicole, same thing with yourself, with you guys have great content. But what do you think? Do you think with everything that we just talked about with like showing up genuinely, do you think there really is a credibility crisis that leaders need to consider with their sales and marketing teams? I'm happy to jump in first because I've got some very clear thoughts on this front. Go for it. As a seller or a marketer, or really somebody that works in any kind of an organization, in order for this to work, you need to be in an organization where you align on what they're trying to accomplish from a purpose perspective. Because I can be authentically myself, and it still aligns with what gravity is about as an organization, because I've aligned where I work with who I am. So I don't, I don't struggle with that from a credibility perspective because I don't say anything that I don't believe in that isn't also true for larger gravity. So to that point, I think this becomes a real struggle for people when they are only posting on behalf of the organization that they work for, because then if they were to train change companies, that doesn't translate with them. And the other thing is to that point, I think we've all seen the people on LinkedIn that were a real estate mogul and then like a startup founder, then a second startup founder, and then a crypto investor. And at that point, they've lost all credibility because they are going with wherever the wind blows. So again, to that point, wherever you work, or if you're going to start a company, make sure that it is aligned to who you are as an individual so that you can be that true authentic self. And the other piece that is sometimes scary, and I have a lot of empathy for leaders like Nicole, honestly, this needs to start with somebody at the top because this is the weirdest analogy, but it's it's what always comes to mind. Are you guys familiar with Dave Ramsey at all? Okay, Dave Ramsey is a financial guru. And I think he's done an incredible job of building a personal brand. And then what Dave Ramsey did was he was the financial guy that helps you get out of debt and then build wealth. And then underneath Dave Ramsey, there are a lot of other personalities that have found their specific niches. So his daughter, Rachel Cruz, specializes in like, essentially moms and like what it's like to be a financially healthy mom. He's got Ken Coleman. That's about professional growth and understanding how do you increase your income so that you can actually increase your wealth. He's got John Deloney, who is a therapist that is helping you wrestle through how to have a healthy relationship. But at the top, you have an incredibly strong personal brand and he has taken portions of his personal brand and lent it to these other people to actually strengthen everyone's platform. But if any one person were to leave, yes, they lose a portion of this overarching brand that is Ramsey Solutions, but they didn't lose everything. Whereas if, a, if an organization only has one person that is not the owner of the business that is super active on social, if they ever get poached or if they ever leave, that brand presence has disappeared. So I think that this really does need to fall on leaders to lead the way 
Because at that point, it's executive leaders lending their brand to help build up other people before it is one person that's building themselves up and then leaving. So those are some quick thoughts. I'm glad you brought that up because um, really I look at this, it it has 100% to do with culture of the organization and leadership. And my passion is culture and leadership. Don't get me wrong. I love sales. I love marketing, um, but I hire amazing people. I look at my job as to inspire, to guide, to to attract the best talent, to attract the right people. I believe happy people equals happy clients. Um, it's as simple as that. And so, you know, I I want our team to flourish. I want Mason to flourish. I want him to learn a tremendous amount. I want him to be successful um, in in what he is doing, and that goes for everybody else within the team. And that's a healthy culture all around. And, you know, it's interesting when you said a credibility crisis, you know, at first I thought, why would that be happening? But then, yes, as I thought about it, because keep in mind, I'm in a mindset going, why would there be a credibility crisis? Because that's not the world that I live in, just to be transparent. Like, I don't feel like we have a credibility crisis because we are, we are very transparent. We are genuine to who we are. And, you know, we've got an incredibly healthy culture. So I do feel like that comes from probably organizations um, that don't have those things and to where, you know, you've got somebody, a seller who's focused just on selling, but they, you know, may not really, you know, be inspired or really bought into the company that they're working for. They're, they're more punching a clock, right? Doing their job and trying to just hit their numbers. And that comes through. I mean, you can't fake that. You can't like, you know, paint this rosy picture for, two years on social and become this person if you're not really feeling it. Um, So I would dare say that's probably where it's coming from is just kind of that lack of engagement and, you know, and and really being bought into the company. I mean, I dare say, hopefully this is true. I feel like Mason is, you know, he's so engaged and bought in that he genuinely wants to tell more people about it. In fact, um, social for us, yes, from a client standpoint has been great, but I will tell you from a talent standpoint, you know, we attract some amazing team members to gravity because of that, right? Because why? I mean, people people want to be inspired. They want to work at, you know, just amazing places to be and, you know, and contribute to something that um, is meaningful for them. And that comes through as well. So, I mean, there's huge benefit to where it comes to that. And if I may just elaborate a little bit further, Nicole, me personally, we've, we've talked about this. When the great resignation was happening, we talked about the fact that I probably had a recruiter reach out to me two to three times a week. I mean, just to be perfectly blunt, that doesn't happen to Nicole. She's a business owner. So I think one of the things that from a credibility crisis, some of the companies that were reaching out to me were like solar panel software. Don't get me wrong. Solar panels seem like a great idea, but I, I'm not passionate about that. Whereas I'm genuinely super passionate about account-based marketing. So if I were to ever transition into a new role, that's with a company that sold a product I don't really care about. I can't be authentically transparent about my passion for that product. Whereas I genuinely love B2B marketing. I genuinely love account-based marketing. I genuinely love helping people grow in their careers. So I don't have to think much about it. I can be a true authentic self. And as a result, there's not as much of this credibility crisis. Whereas if someone is solely chasing the larger paycheck, because I have been poached for jobs that offered significant pay bumps. If I went after that, I couldn't do what I'm doing on social. And again, from an employee perspective, I am also playing a long game here. I recognize that the more value I bring to Nicole, the more she will pay me if we're being really direct about it. That's right. That's exactly right. So <laughs> I would rather stay in a role where I see the growth potential and I'm passionate 
than make a jump to get an immediate pay bump to do something I don't care about. Now, Mason, you had mentioned passionate about the product and all that. I know you are, but uh, but I think the passion goes further than that. In most businesses, it's passion for the company. True. And what does that mean? It's, it's the mission, vision, values. It's what do you stand for? It's the people who are in the organization. It's that healthy culture. So even if there was a company who did account-based marketing, um, had a very different culture, you may not be as excited you know, about what that looks like. I know I'm putting words in your mouth, but... <laughs> but you're, you're right. I genuinely love our team. And I love what we get to do. And I love the people I work with that, to your point, there have been MarTech and sales tech companies that have reached out and tried to poach me. And when it came right down to it, the reason you say it's for the people that you work with. I love this dialogue that we're talking about, like the credibility. And I, it's one of the first things that actually attracted me to Mason is he was so honest and he had that community in the comments that why, why is he getting so much people actually having real conversations, being comfortable enough to have the ask the questions. And you were also so authentic in your DMs. Like you never, you know, a lot of the time when we, and I'm sure we've all had it here where somebody will pitch slap you or they only speak to you when they want something. I know I always joke about my cousin that always, the only reason she ever calls is when she wants to go and sell me whatever new thing that she signed up for. Or like, you guys are never that. Like anything, if you reach out to me is because we are going to have a genuine conversation or it's something, you know, something that's of interest to me, which I genuinely appreciate because I will never ignore your DMs where a lot of sellers put themselves in that spot to be ignored easily because they hit that mental spam filter. But I think one thing I'd love to go and loop in kind of the tail end here is you guys do ABM exceptionally well. And I hear a lot of companies say, but on social, ABM is purely just ads like LinkedIn ads or like it's just paid ads. Nobody ever talks about how organic fits in, how you, how the communities and the dark social and that really bigger picture. And because you guys do it so well, and even Mason with your podcast, I would love to hear like how this all loops in and how you, especially Nicole, like how do you look at ABM today using utilizing all the tools that are available so that you can actually see meaningful benefit versus doing, you know, a mail campaign? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, don't knock the mail campaign. I'll tell you, direct mail is having a comeback. If you do it the right way, it can be actually really effective within account base. Um, I'm, I'm going to sort of start off answering that question, but I want Mason to, to take it home. So first of all, one of the things that I love about account-based marketing, again, I'm, I'm a believer in working smarter, not harder, right? And so how can we be more efficient with our time, our energy, and you know, ultimately like bring in the right fit clients and all of that? So one of the things that I think is a real struggle for for salespeople is how really to organize their time. Let's just say, for example, um, you've identified these 500 accounts that are great fit clients. It is not possible to be personalized and to reach out on a consistent, genuine basis to 500, you know, uh, not just companies, but then how many contacts do you have, you know, within each of those companies? So first of all, it's, it's going to be a balance of trying to find communities where those companies live. But what I love about account-based marketing is there is you know, a lot of technology and things that we can leverage to actually see which of those 500 accounts are more have a higher propensity to buy, right? They're more in market for the types of products that you offer. So you might have 25 of those 500 accounts who are showing more kind of just intense signals for what you offer. Okay, well, in that case, well, then let's put more energy and effort and time into those accounts instead of trying to spread yourself so thin across, you know, every single account. 
So in that particular case, if we knew that these 25 accounts were the most active, we're going to now engage, you know, more um, directly, um, you know, potentially through social, we're going to get a lot more personalized with our content, which could include, it could include LinkedIn advertising, it could include display advertising, it absolutely could involve uh, uh, more personalized direct mail, and, you know, just putting more effort and energy. And, you know, the fact of the matter is sale, a salesperson's time is finite, and they're one of the most expensive and valuable resources in your organization. And so it's really important to, to leverage, you know, the time well. So, I'd love to turn it over to you, Mason, but that's kind of high-level thought process on that. Yeah, I mean, as we think through account-based marketing, we do truly build a holistic program that is looking at every single touch point that brings the appropriate people in our buying committee into a sales conversation. So as far as how that directly relates back to organic social, if you would like me to get highly tactical, happy to do that, great. So have two monitors. On one monitor, pull up your target account list with the appropriate contacts. On the other monitor, pull up LinkedIn, and you go and connect with those people. You get 100 connections a week. It takes you about two hours, but then you are making one-to-one connections with your target accounts every single week. Then you're posting content in the feed every single day that is relevant and helpful for them, that is then driving those conversations. When they accept, you send a message that just says something to the extent of, hey, thank you so much for accepting. Super excited to learn from you, and hopefully you get some value out of my content. At that point, you can then leverage your LinkedIn feed to pull them into other things. So for example, one of the things that's been super beneficial for us would be these online, highly tactical virtual workshops. So we use LinkedIn events to then invite people that are our target accounts into those events. So again, that's another touch point, plus the daily social content, plus to your point, I have a podcast. I'm asking people on my podcast that are actively hiring, and again, I've been intentional to connect with target accounts. So they're hiring. So I'm now adding additional value by inviting them on my podcast to help them hire talent, which I've done. And at that point, I'm then helping the hiring manager and placing an internal advocate for Mason Cosby in the organization that are my target accounts, at which point we are then having them come inbound because they recognize, oh, we need help building an ABM program. So who do we know? Oh, that guy that helped me get hired or that guy that helped me hire somebody. And at that point, between all of those things, I just try to be the most helpful person to my target accounts so that whenever they need specific help building an account-based program, even if they don't think of me as an agency person, because I don't honestly don't talk super at length about being at an agency. It's probably 10% of my content is specific content back to Gravity Global. Most of it's just like ABM, careers, random thoughts that are helpful that I learned. It's just about it. So at that point, they may come to me and say, hey, Mason, do you know anybody that can help us with these things? At which point, because I've become someone that they trust, I can then actually point them towards us. Or the other thing that's immensely helpful is before we've ever engaged in a sales conversation, if we're not the right fit, I can point them towards somebody else and start to build build some one-to-one relationships with other agency owners and then establish with them, we are the best at this, you're the best at that. So if you find somebody that does this, send them our way which has also generated new business as well. So again, at the core, it is just being a highly active member of the communities in which your target accounts live. And the way that you do that is just one-to-one connections and being a part of their network. So that's the highly tactical what I've done over the past 12 months at this point. So any further follow-up questions, happy to answer. And this has been a learning process, right? It's been experimenting to see what's most effective. But at the end of the day, I love what you said. It's about helping people and it's about being genuine. Um, and, and things will kind of take hold from there. If you develop yourself as a thought leader in a particular area because you're talking so much about that topic, guess what? 
you're going to be asked to be on podcasts. You're going to be asked to speak at conferences. You're going to be asked to do these things. Those are great opportunities. Um, it, you know, and usually where you're going to be speaking about probably those things, your target accounts or people who are influencing those live. So to really fully elaborate in some detail around what just Nicole just mentioned, pre-LinkedIn, I got asked to know podcasts. I got asked to know speaking events post-LinkedIn. I think this is my 26th podcast in the past 12 months. And I've been in a number of virtual conferences. And then I just got my second in-person speaking in engagement in which I'm actually bringing in Nicole and Allison, who's another one of our team members, because they're actually smarter than me. I just am super active on social. But we're going to all together talk through how to build a better ABM program. So at that point, again, it's not just be social so that you can engage with target accounts online, but these online relationships turn into in-person relationships that then turn into potential customers or referral sources. You think of Boston Consulting Group where they'd have like their sleepers that would go into the companies. You're basically like building your little sleepers that just go in there. And then all of a sudden when the time is right, Hey, but the one thing I just wanted to go on just on the tail end here, just capture is I always say like marketing when done well is air cover and it should align with what sales is doing because we've all been in those situations where somebody has an oops and marketing email goes out. You're already in, you know, <laughs> yeah, Mason knows. I sent them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you're talking, you're, you're in process and you're talking and they're like, but marketing just sent me this. But how how so how can we get more aligned on content that actually supports sales and the actually leads better to revenue? So the whole we have a cleaner process. I don't we don't we're just kind of the last question as quickly as we can. Should have asked it sooner. No, I um, and Mason, I'll I'll jump in there real real fast on this one. So first of all, um, that should be a discussion up front, not just constantly in the moment. Like how do I help you today? So there needs to be a combination of both. One really need to think about kind of the, the 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 buyer's journey, the customer's journey. And like, you know, if somebody is at certain stages of that journey, you know, what content is available? What do we need to create? What are some things along the way that we're going to pull out these, you know, plays and things of that nature? Now, it shouldn't stop there. You should have your baseline, you know, especially a content library. And it should be like really helpful information that, uh, you know, that Mason or anyone else in that sales seat can pull um, when they need it and so forth. But there should be a lot of collaboration and truthfully, um, you know, kind of efficiency out the window. But, you know, if you've got if you've got accounts who are pretty far into the buying, you know, uh, a journey with you, especially if they're in your deal pipeline. Gosh, marketing and sales, let's collaborate on an ongoing basis. I know some I know some sales and marketing teams who literally will have just like a stand up meeting and talk on a daily basis to see you know, what's working, what's not, how can we better support what, you know, things of that nature. Now, again, you should have your framework built out, you should have things created, but there also should be collaboration and then learning from that, right? And constantly enhancing so that you can, you know, hopefully drive more efficiency and effectiveness with what you're doing. I don't really have anything to add. I mean, (laughs) to put it bluntly, marketing and sales should talk, not, they shouldn't drive the content strategy, but obviously, if sales keeps losing deals because there's a an item that your buyers don't understand, marketing can create content to educate the market at scale on that topic. So again, not driving the entire content strategy, but shoot, the whole goal of marketing and sales is to drive revenue. So marketing helps sales drive revenue. And that's why I think when account-based marketing done well, it should kind of naturally drive sales and marketing alignment because you're actually going after the same goals, the same counts. Like you're aligned on what that looks like. Again, if it's done properly. 
you know, we've had, we've had customers uh, come to us and they're like, oh, you know what, we, our sales team is off limits or, you know, that they're just not going to engage. Well, that's not going to be the most successful, you know, um, program as a whole. So maybe you're not ready. That's okay. So anyhow, lots of super exciting conversations. I know that we have like dumped a whole lot on you (laughs) over this past hour. It was amazing. And you can even feel the collaboration between you two. Well, we did not need to lead this. We had a couple of questions, but you led it your way because that's exactly how the collaboration is working. You know how you're collaborating. You know what your targets are. And that sparks out in the culture. I absolutely love that. Mason, Nicole, do you have any final words for our presentation today? Unless you started. I don't, other than just to say uh, I'm grateful for, for being on the show. And thank you for giving us the venue to be able to talk about things we're really passionate about. My final thought, agreed. Thank you for having us on the show. Everything we talked about only works when you have a leader that actually creates a culture in which this can thrive. So as much as we talked through some things, we made it sound easy. But the reality is this took Nicole and team from a leadership perspective years to get to this point. And this is not an overnight thing. So again, if you want to accomplish something like this, it starts with leadership. And if leadership's not willing, then it may re- help you recognize that you want to go into an organization where the leadership is aligned. <laughs> Final mm-hmm. leadership. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your words of wisdom. Make sure you follow all of these people on LinkedIn. And the one thing I will close out with, it is 2022. It is no longer acceptable to suffer in silence. If you need help in your professional career as a seller, as a marketer, even customer success, you're valuable too. Get in the DMs, get in the comments, share your thoughts, and we'll make sure we point you in the right direction. Thank you so much, guys. Hope you guys have a great week. Take care. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.